When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode of Red or Dead is sponsored by Everything Trying to Kill You. Everything Trying to Kill You is a podcast featuring a literature professor and writer and a behavioral therapist slash stage director who analyze and make fun of horror movies. From classics to brand new, noir to slasher, indie to blockbuster, Mary Kay McBrayer and Mary Byer ask the important questions. Do these women characters act like actual women? Is all of this horror a product of white nonsense? And is this movie scary? Listen to Everything Trying to Kill You on iTunes, Google Play, or Spotify. Welcome to Red or Dead, a bi-weekly podcast where we talk about the world of mysteries and thrillers. This is episode 55, and we are recording on Tuesday, July 2nd. I'm Katie McLean Horner, along with Rancy Abraham, and we're coming to you from Book Riot. Hi, Katie. Hi, Rincy. How are you? I'm good. Happy almost birthday. Oh, thank you. Yes. Yes. If you are listening to this podcast on the day it is released, Friday, July 5th, it is my birthday. Woo! Woohoo! Make sure to tweet at her. Happy birthday. <laughs> you really don't have to tweet at me. Happy birthday. <laughs> yes, I get, I, I turn 30 and I start a new decade and my husband is trying to push me into a an an existential crisis by informing me that I am now just as close to 40 as I am to 20 and to that I tell him that he needs to be quiet. <laughs> Look, as someone who's already in her 30s, it's I actually prefer this decade. So <laughs> Okay, that's good. I feel I feel like yeah, the, t- the 20s were interesting, but there was a lot of nonsense going on in the 20s. Yeah, exactly. The nonsense decreases, or at least, like, the amount that you care about the nonsense decreases, which helps. <laughs> yes, I can feel that happening already in many aspects of my life. So I'm so, and that seems to be working. So I am excited for that to, for that to hopefully increase in the next decade. <laughs> All right. Uh, so before we jump into the episode, uh, I have our first sponsor, and that is Amazon Publishing and In the Darkness by Mike O'Meara. If you chase serial killers for a living, you might be the next victim. But when forensic psychologist Zoe Bentel is on the case, no serial killer is safe. From Amazon Charts and Washington Post bestselling author Mike O'Meara, the thrilling Zoe Bentel series continues with In the Darkness. Um, so again, that's In the Darkness by Mike O'Meara from Amazon Publishing. And thanks so much to them for sponsoring this episode. All right. So if you are joining us for the first time, welcome. Uh, if this, if you are a longtime listener, welcome back. In fact, I'm going to uh, point out here that, uh, Rincy, you and I forgot to mention when we hit our two-year anniversary. To be completely honest, I didn't even realize it. Like, I didn't do the math in my head in terms of, like, episode numbers. And for some reason, I thought it was in July instead of, like, the beginning of June, I think, is when we started. So um, the the point being that we've actually been doing this for two years, which is crazy. 
So crazy. Yeah, so uh, this episode, we'll get we'll get into the meat of this episode a little bit later, but this is our belated two-year anniversary because we both forgot. <laughs> and I just, I just wanted to say how much I appreciate having a co-host, but we're just like on the same level in so many ways. Like if one of us has forgotten something, we find out that the other one has forgotten something. Like... Like, we are always able to make it work, but it's not like one of us is super on top of stuff, and then the other person is just, like, scrambling to keep up. Like, we are both on equal levels here. Yeah, I like to I like to think that we're, like, the perfectly matched, like, podcast married couple or something like that, because we seem to, like, work really well together in ways that we never would have expected. <laughs> I love that. I, I will, I will totally, I will totally 100% agree with that we're we're like we're, we're the perfect blend of structured chaos <laughs> oh my gosh yes that's so true <laughs> <laughs> so anyway if you have so whether you are new to this ep- this show or if you have been on this two-year journey with us we thank all of you for listening um, so if you couldn't tell from the from the intro we talk about everything Mystery, suspense, thrillers, true crime, anything and everything in between. We talk about adaptations. We do themed reading lists. We investigate uh, subgenres. We do we do all kinds of fun stuff. And we have gotten so many ideas for this show from you lovely listeners. So at the beginning of every show, we remind everyone that we are always looking for new ideas, news items that you guys have come across, subgenres that you that you have wanted to explore but haven't had an opportunity to, just kind of general related questions, anything along those lines. You guys have given us some really great ideas over the last couple of years, so keep the ideas coming. Um, We will have our contact information at the end of the show, so you can always uh, reach out to us with with any ideas or questions, any suggestions that you guys have, um, or if you just want to say hi, we're very friendly. We like like listening to you lovely people, Um, or chatting with you. Words. (laughs) Words. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> so we will have that information at the end of the show, but we always like to to put that invitation at the top of the show. Um, and with that, I will uh, go ahead and jump into so we've got some news items that uh, we want to talk about real quickly. Um, first off, some of you guys might um, have been seeing stuff for this upcoming book called The Chain by Adrian McKinty. Um, it comes out next week, and I will be talking about it more in depth uh, in the new releases section. But Paramount apparently thinks this book is the bee's knees, because they just made a seven-figure film deal for the book. And it hasn't even been released yet. This is a debut novel from a guy uh, who's an Uber driver, and now he's like one of the big it authors and this book everyone is talking about this book so like i said i'll go i'll go into more details when the new releases uh section but if you had been seeing stuff about this book and you're like yeah i've been seeing this a lot you know is it worth the hype well apparently paramount thinks it is because yeah seven figures that is that is a huge film deal and then i even though this Next news item is not technically directly related to mysteries and thrillers. We will have a link for the final trailer for Stranger Things Season 3, which by the time you're listening to this will already be on Netflix. So some of you may have already finished this, uh, finished the season by the time you're listening. But in case you're not, in case you're a little late to the party, um, or if you just wanted to watch the trailer, we'll have a link to that. I am super excited. I loved seasons one and two of Stranger Things. 
Uh, my husband and I are, we're just finishing up. We're like halfway through season two and we're trying to get it, get it finished by, um, well, hopefully, hopefully by Thursday. If, if not, then definitely by the weekend because, oh my goodness, I love Stranger Things so much. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's, I, I just had to include that. I, I can't, I can't not talk about Stranger Things. But anyway, I'm going to stop now. <laughs> I mean, it's it's allowed. It's, this is their last season, right? Uh, or did they not officially say? I thought there was something maybe four okay. seasons. I haven't seen anything about it being the last. I know that they are that there is a definitive endpoint, but I haven't seen anything about it being the last, the third season being the last season. I hope it's not. Oh yeah, no, you might be right. Uh, I just maybe it's just because I saw something where it said like they have a endpoint that mm-hmm. I thought I assumed this was it. But anyways, I was. It still works. We all, I think there's plenty of Stranger Things fans, so it's fine. <laughs> all right. Um, I have a couple more things to touch on. Uh, another big adaptation news that was just announced on the day that we're recording this, Lock Every Door by uh, Riley Sager, which is also out this week, or as we're recording it, it's out today. Um, that one has also been picked up for development. Um, this one was picked up by Paramount Television, so it sounds like it's going to be a TV show. Um and it is going to be um, the executive producer and showrunner is Brian Buckner, who worked on True Blood. And it's been there's not a lot of information other than the fact that it's been picked up for television. Um, and they have a couple of names in there of people who are executive producing as well as directing. None of them are like super major names or anything like that. Um, and yeah, it just has like a quick synopsis. If it's coming out at all, it'll probably come out next year. Um, but yeah, if you are a Riley Sager fan, maybe you've picked up Lock Every Door this week. Um, it could be coming to television very soon. And then one more thing that is coming to television, uh, the book The Lincoln Lawyer by Michael Conley has been picked up to be a TV show on CBS. And David E. Kelly is actually uh, going to be the showrunner, I believe, on this one as well. Um, And he's writing on it. Um, So many of you probably have heard of Lincoln Lawyer because it was made into a movie uh, starring Matthew McConaughey, I believe. Yes. Yeah. Uh, And so now they're making it into a TV show. So if you are a fan of that, or you just like, you know, procedural, like law procedurals and stuff like that, there's a new one coming to CBS. And that one has been picked up to series. So it will definitely be airing at least one episode, probably this fall. All right. Well, before we jump into the meat of the episode, I am super excited for this discussion for this episode. But anyway, um, I wanted to make sure that we got to our second sponsor, which is A Nearly Normal Family by M.T. Edwardson, published by Celadon Books. This is a gripping legal thriller about 18-year-old Stella Sandell, who stands accused of the brutal murder of a man almost 15 years her senior. She's an ordinary teenager from an upstanding local family. It's uh, The story is told in an unusual three-part structure. It's a twisted narrative of love and murder. And this book has been getting a lot of attention. It's It's been, yeah, lots of publishing hype. Um, yeah, a legal thriller with a twist. Um, makes you wonder how well you know your own children. Explores how far parents are willing to go to protect them, which is one of my own personal favorite tropes in in uh, mystery and suspense novels. So I am super excited to get my hands on a copy of this. So again, that is a nearly normal family by M. T. Edwardson, uh, published by Celadon Books, and we thank them very much for sponsoring this episode. So as Katie mentioned at the top of the show, we are celebrating our two-year anniversary a little bit late, but we decided that we need to celebrate no matter what. And Katie had the wonderful idea of 
we should read Nancy Drew for our two year anniversary. We like mentioned in a previous episode, we like talked about it a little bit about, I don't remember how the discussion came up. I think we were talking about the new Nancy Drew adaptation or something like that. Mm-hmm. And we started talking about Nancy Drew in general. And I think in the episode we said like, Hey, we should read Nancy Drew for an episode. And so, uh, yeah, we're do We did it. And <laughs> it was great. I had a lot of fun doing it. I, Katie, I know you read like three of them. So <laughs> clearly you had some fun doing this. I did. I checked out like seven or eight books from the library. Um, I I went based off of the covers and which ones I remembered reading. They are the the classic Nancy Drews and the in the yellow covers that I remembered owning and checking out from the library. So um, I yeah I have a stack and I fully intend to read all seven or eight of them. Okay, I want to hear your your thoughts first. Just what was it like rereading Nancy Drew as an adult? It kind of felt like I was going back in time to that moment because there is a very uh, template sort of style to Nancy Drew books and they all kind of start in a similar format. And so I felt like I was like going back and like to that like elementary aged Rincey and like even like for me too, like I went to the library and they have like the same editions that I read with the yellow spines and stuff like that. Um, and even just like seeing it on the bookshelf, like my library that I go to now is the same, is it's the same, like I still live in the same town that I grew up in. Um, it's a different building, but like I have like very distinct memories of like seeing the row of yellow spines. And like when I went to the section that has the Nancy Drews now and seeing the row of yellow spines, it was like, such a feeling of nostalgia and it just made me so happy <laughs> to like even just looking at them on the shelf just made me happy so yeah I, for me it was like so much fun and so enjoyable just because just felt like I was like transformed back or transplanted back to that time yeah I I came home from the library and I walk up the steps of our apartment and Blaine's looking at me. He's like, okay, what'd you get? And he just sees my arms full of books. And he goes, where are you going to put all of those? <laughs> and I, I, I was going to say, talk about being transported to when, back to when you were a kid. My mom's like, are you sure you're, you're going to be able to read all of those? <laughs> yeah, it was, it did bring me back. And I like immediately grabbed one. Um, and I just kind of plopped down in the chair and I read it over the course of a couple hours that afternoon. You know, they're, they're, they're fast reads. Um, and I, what I realized was that reading them, I, I mean, when you're a kid, you don't, you're reading stuff because you enjoy it. There's not, you're not typically engaging in a ton of critical thinking. Yeah. But as an adult, I, I was realizing that I'm like, the I, I I was riffing on him a little bit. Like I enjoyed reading them, but but half the half the the plots of these books happen because the the people asking Nancy to solve these mysteries are extremely wealthy and yes. like these wealthy benefactors that are like that are paying to to send her to these places to solve these mysteries, like. I read, so the three that I read, there was The Secret of the Golden Pavilion, which takes place in Hawaii, and the the person who approaches her father to solve this mystery of some uh, some family legend that, um, that his grandfather had 
that had left behind, like, he basically left behind a puzzle and no one's been able to solve it, like, you know, with clues and, you know, they got to go to these places. But this guy, like, pays for Nancy and her friends, Bess and George, and he pays for them, like, this all-expenses-paid trip to Hawaii where they get to stay with, with on the family estate and, like, their every needs are taken care of and they have delicious food and they have all this fun stuff going on. And I'm like, I think this is why I was enjoying a lot of these mysteries is because she gets to go on all these fantastic vacations at no expense. I mean, sure, some of the bad guys might, like, throw a rock at her or something, but... <laughs> I'm like, hey, that's, that's, I mean, that might be worth it. Um, but then, um, so that was the secret of the Golden Pavilion. I read the clue in the crossword cipher where she gets to go to, to South America. And that's the one with the, uh, Nazca lines and the Nazca figures in the, um, and of course I can't remember what part of South America, but with the giant animal carvings in, in, in the sand, basically, they're like, you know, 300 feet, the 300 feet long. Um, I remember thinking that was really cool when I was a kid. And then Phantom of Pine Hill is a more local mystery, but the person who has a mystery to solve, he puts up Nancy and her friends when their hotel loses their reservation, basically. So she's she is very well taken care of in these mysteries and gets to eat fantastic food and go to fun parties and do fun things and take photos and hunt bad guys. And I think that was a big part of why I liked these books. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you picked the more extravagant ones because I went for the earliest ones I could find. And my library just happened to have like number one, the secret of the old clock. And so the way the story starts off, or at least the series starts off, I should say, um, you can definitely tell from the beginning that like Nancy Drew is wealthy, like her dad's a lawyer. She drives a blue convertible. Like, <laughs> who does that? I think they live in a three story house, like any house above two stories. Two. I'm like, okay, <laughs> they got money. <laughs> yes. And like, it's funny, because um, one of the things I really liked are just like the little details, like they she has like, some dance or event or something coming up which like who has dances and events in your 20s um and so she like goes to the department store to get a new dress and like she the way the department store is set up like blew my mind i never noticed this detail before but you like waited in line for a sales clerk or not in line but you just like waited for a sales clerk to become available they would individually like serve you like bring you dresses to try on it's like wedding dress shopping and then they would tailor it and then they would deliver it to your home <laughs> like what kind of shopping experience would that have been uh but clearly that's also like a very high-end sort of experience like I can't imagine everyone who lived in like the 1940s and 50s actually shopped that way but still like Nancy Drew isn't seen as being like the wealthiest person like her adversaries in this book are these two girls named Ada and Ivy I want to say is the other girl's name and they are like significantly more well-off than she is so like she's not the richest girl in town but she's definitely uh, has some money yeah there's so many so many things going on with these with these books and I will say I as an adult you pick up on a lot of things that have not aged well in these books. Now, I know when we shortly after we came up with the idea, we had a listener uh email us and say that the books that a lot of us are familiar with were actually changed from the original versions which were written like in the 30s. Yeah. And that is that is totally true. I found and a really interesting article, and we'll have a link to this in the show notes, a really interesting article from Electric Lit, and they talk about the revisions from the original Nancy Drew novels, and I think 
they use an example from The Secret of the Old Clock in which the original version is one of the characters is black and they talk about the portrayal of this character. Needless to say, it's pretty horrendous. And they quote unquote solved this problem when they rewrote the books and like re-released them in the 50s, basically by getting rid of the character, making him white, changing a couple of other characteristics about or things that happened to him. And so they talk about the issue of, you know, really racist, stereotypic characters versus solving the problem by just getting rid of the characters completely. And you're like, well, well, neither option is good. Um, But in these books, the three that I read, the clue in the crossword cipher where they go to South America... I text Rincey, I texted you and I said, this book should be renamed Nancy Drew and the white ladies go on vacation to South America, because that's really what it was in this one. And then in the one, the secret of the golden pavilion, the benefactors, um, who they, who are, you know, paying for them to, to travel to these exotic places. They are people of color, but they also, they're like, yes, yeah, solve this mystery for us. And also, we're going to pay all this money for you, this, this trio of white ladies, to experience our culture. And I was just like, oh, God. Um, and the clue in the crossword cipher, I can't, there are multiple instances where one of the three, it's usually Bess, I think, but they're like trying to like climb on the back of alpacas and like native animals to to, to Peru or wherever they, they are visiting. And like, they're just like climbing on these wild animals. And this is just kind of like, oh, this is just a funny thing that they're doing on vacation. I'm like, this is white ladies climbing on wild animals. Like, what is going on here? Um, and then they're buying, you know, uh, authentic traditional dresses from the, from the native villages. Like, oh, yes, we're going to wear this back home. And I'm like, oh, God. And, um, similar with the secret of the golden pavilion, there's stuff about, um, Polynesian culture, um, which there is some interesting information, but again, a lot of it is let's pay money to have the white ladies experience Hawaii. Um, and then the cover of the Phantom of Pine Hill, you'll have to look this one up, but the cover is, uh, includes Nancy and her boyfriend, Ned, and Ned is in full Native American regalia. Ooh. Yeah. I mean, it is like headdress, full on, full on costume. And the way he acts in the book during the scene where he's wearing this as part of a college parade float, um, the way he, he like jumps off the float and like quote unquote abducts Nancy and he's like in character, the way he's talking in character is really horrendous. Um, and to be honest, I did pick up that the, a, I recognized the cover and I remembered reading it and enjoying the, the story as a kid. But B, I also looked at that cover and I just went, this isn't going to be good. And I kind of was reading it to see how bad it was. And it's pretty bad. <laughs> so there are definitely elements that have not, not aged well. <laughs> yeah, I was kind of expecting that as well. Um, but with the ones that I picked up, there wasn't anything like I read the first one and I it's funny because when I saw the article link that you posted um from electric literature I like sat there for a second I was like wait what happened like I was trying to remember I was like wait what I what did I just read because I don't remember like seeing that like or it didn't like impact me at all when I read it and so I went back and looked at the scene and I was like oh yeah I'm reading the edited version so there's no reason why I would pick up on this being problematic and part of me is like 
Well, at least good on them for realizing it was problematic and removing it, but they didn't necessarily make the best choice um, by just removing all people of color, basically, when they could. Um, But I suppose that's just better than me dealing with, like, really offensive things. Like, I know in the past, not with, like, Nancy Drew, but with other books, like, I've read a lot of British books where they talk about uh, Indian people, as in, like, people from India, in, like, very derogatory ways. And as someone who is of Indian descent, I get, like, very offended. And I'm like, look, I realize this was printed in, like, 1890 or whatever, but still, (laughs) this is not cool. Yeah. And it's, like, very hard to read. And so, at least with these books, obviously, you read the ones that are slightly more problematic, or not slightly, but are more problematic, uh, because they take place in other countries or deal with other cultures. Mm -hmm. But the ones that are like sort of earlier on, I think are significantly more tame, like even the mystery, like, but I also noticed it when I was reading it, like, there are scenes in this book where Nancy Drew just goes and like knocks on the doors of like random people. And like, they immediately befriend her. And I'm like, is this the 1940s thing? Or is this a nice white lady thing like i just in my head i was thinking like only a white lady would be able to get away with this (laughs) i think the answer to your question is yes (laughs) (laughs) so i mean but i also was expecting that kind of so i think i like was ready for that sort of thing to happen or to experience that i don't know how i would have reacted if i was like reading specifically the one with the native american stuff i don't know i don't think i would have been okay like those are ones where i'm like Probably going to skip that one. (laughs) Yeah, that was one where I was just like, oh, God, this is really bad. I'm also thinking about like, okay, so libraries are still stocking these books. Yeah, Um, yeah. They still have them on the shelf. So the with the implication being that people are still reading these, Uh, probably kids are still reading these, which I think which I think is cool. But I'm wondering, like, for kids nowadays, like, in these books, they talk about, like, oh, I'm going to send a telegram to my father. Or, like, this, like, she solves some of the mysteries with magnifying glasses. Like, she's looking at a magnifying glass on, like, a safe lock to look for fingerprints. It's, like, it's so, like, it's so antiquated. It's, you know, it's it's quite charming. But I'm wondering, like, how like how this reads for, you know, kids who have grown up in a generation of social media and iPhones and Netflix and like all this other stuff. Like does does do these stories still make sense? Are they still enjoyable? Cause I mean, part of me I remembered or I kind of fell back into that old reading rhythm from when I was a kid, but I'm also thinking like, does do these words like make sense to kids nowadays? Like do do they have to like ask someone what a telegram is? Like <laughs> Yeah, that's actually a really good question. And if anyone is a parent and has kids who may have read these books, definitely let us know. Um, Part of me is also wondering if these are books that parents are picking up to read to their kids. So then it's like a shared experience thing. Um, Like this is unrelated, but also related. My pastor was just talking this weekend about how he's like introducing his kids to all the cartoons that he watched as a kid, like Scooby-Doo and Yogi Bear and stuff like that. Um, And how they like watch it together because their kids have like so many questions about stuff. And I really think that this is like sort of the same thing almost where like parents have such a strong connection to these books and they're like, oh, I want to expose my kids to them. Um, And so I imagine that this is a book series that remains popular because parents are picking it up for their kids because even like the fact that my library still has like the yellow editions that look really antiquated like they don't in my opinion if I was a kid these are outside of the fact that they have yellow spines so they're eye-catching like the covers don't look 
that appealing compared to other kids books that are out these days so even like based on that fact alone if I was just wandering the library I don't know if this would be the series that I would pick up yeah I'm interested to know like who the the readership is for Nancy Drew nowadays and I know they have different spin-offs and I think that there's like a there's a uh, a much more diverse like a graphic novel adaptation or something that's going to be coming out soon where um, with Nancy, Bess, and George, like, one of them is a person of color, one of them is queer, which I think, I'm like, that's really cool. It's very different from, from the, the quote-unquote traditional Nancy Drew series. So they are, there are still spinoffs, and there, there have been a bunch of different, um, series spinoffs, like, there's, there was, there were some in, like, the 80s and 90s that have, like, the traditional, like, 80s paperback, illustrations where Nancy and her friends, they go from, you know, 1950s hair bobs to, like, 1980s blowouts. And I'm looking at <laughs> looking at these, like, like the high-waisted jeans and, like, the pastel socks, and I'm like, oh, what happened? <laughs> um, but I remember reading some of those books, too. Um, and, you know, there continued to be, like, they just made a movie with starring Sophia Lillis, and they have, you know, they're continuing to kind of reach into the Nancy Drew brand, basically, and find new ways to to expand on it. So it's still, you know, it's it's still a series that is, to some extent, generating interest. I'm just, I'm curious about how the classic ones, how they land. Yeah, and I think it's really interesting, because if you think about, like, other, like, classic mysteries that have withstanded the test of time, they're all, like, adult ones, like Sherlock Holmes or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, and so, like, I feel like if you are going into, like, a Sherlock Holmes book, you're going to be a slightly older reader, and so you'll have the perspective of recognizing what exactly you're picking up as opposed to children who are just, like, reading books and, like, taking it for what they are. They don't necessarily have that context. To, that they can bring to the book. So it's definitely more interesting to, it would be more interesting to hear like if people are picking up Nancy or if kids are picking up Nancy Drew now, what their experiences are. Yeah. Oh, and one other comment that I wanted to to make sure that I make before we wrap up this part of the discussion. Um, I remember, well, these are, these are very formulaic books um, and the characters are very there's not a ton of dimension. They are, they are either good characters or bad characters, and the characters do not change from book to book. Like, you know exactly what you're going to get. And anyway, this is this is leading into Nancy and her friends, Bess and George, who are cousins. I remember really liking George as a kid. Um, yeah. Also, I loved the fact that her name was George. Like, that, I just thought that was so cool. Um, and George, I mean, I think out of the, the three, like Nancy, I refer to now as Detective Barbie, which she kind of is. <laughs> like Nancy Drew can do no wrong. She is always, she's always kind. She's always polite. She's very smart. You know, she, she has, you know, she's courageous. She, uh, she has determination and, you know, she's, she, um, Ned Nickerson, her boyfriend, he's, he's Detective Ken and, you know, kind of along for the ride. Um, um, so I'm like, okay, Nancy Drew's Detective Barbie. George, I think, was the most interesting character because she, you know, she's uh, much more, she's much more physical. She is like, in one of the books, she has been taking um, judo lessons, I think. And so she flips a couple of bad guys over her shoulder, which I'm like, that's totally cool. Poor Bess. Well, first of all, written in these books, Bess is completely useless. Like, she's... She does nothing except worry and fret and, oh my gosh. 
But poor Bess, however, her like her one character trait, and I remembered this from as a kid, her one character trait is that she is slightly overweight. Yeah, I remember that so distinctly as from a kid too. Oh my gosh, like they they describe her like George is slim and boyish and she enjoys sports and okay, Bess was plump and was always saying, I'm gonna go on a diet tomorrow. And like there's a scene where George is like literally like smacking a piece of bread out of Bess's hands at dinner. And it's there's so much fat shaming going on. Like it's played as as comic relief and it it never it's never like a critical plot point but it's just like thrown in there and like that's always that's like you know that's that's best she is pretty but plump and i'm like ew god that's terrible so that really has not aged well either yeah and even like thinking about like the way that they described her it's not like in my head i was like she's probably not even that big like it just it's probably that like Nancy Drew is Barbie and George is like athletic so she's probably like very fit in my head and I was like George was probably just a normal size or Bess was probably just a normal size <laughs> like she was probably just average yeah and the and the you know she's like oh I just love delicious food and I'm like good for you enjoy that delicious food everyone should enjoy delicious food so yeah so that that did not age well well I was gonna say I think. <laughs> Do you have any final thoughts on Nancy Drew? I still enjoy, yeah, it's it's hard because like as an adult, you have such a critical mind, but I still enjoy these books. Oh, I <laughs> so, do too. I've, I've still got four that I'm planning to read. So yeah, like hashtag your faves problematic. Like I, t- I recognize all of the faults with it, but I still really enjoy it. And it's been really fun to explore it. And also like, I'm also here for all of the Nancy Drew adaptations. Like I've seen some of the really terrible ones. Um, I'll, I probably won't watch the new CW show because that feels like too Riverdale to me. Um, but like my modern adaptation is Veronica Mars. Like that is like the epitome of like a modern Nancy Drew adaptation, even though like it's not really Nancy Drew, obviously. Uh, but yeah, I just love all of that stuff. And it was like so formative for me as a kid that I, I don't think I can ever not love it. Yeah, and um, when you're talking about the Nancy Drew adaptations, I remember when I was a kid, we had one of the really old Nancy Drew, like, black and white, starring Bonita Granville VHS tapes. And I can't remember which one it was, because there's there's a few of them. It might have just be, I can't remember. But yeah, I remember it was Bonita Granville, she played Nancy Drew. And uh, Ned was like an annoying neighbor. Uh, Bess and George didn't even factor into it. So it was very different. And, um, but I just remember loving that, that movie and just like watching it over and over again. And I think, I could be wrong, but I think at least one of the adaptations may be available on Hoopla. Oh, because I think that came up when I was looking at my library's catalog for Nancy Drew stuff. So I will have to investigate that. But I was I was thinking about seeing if I could find it and then watching it for nostalgia's sake. But um, but yeah, I remember really enjoying that one. So um, so I imagine that a lot of you listeners are were also huge fans of Nancy Drew. So let's we can keep the discussion going after this episode. If you have if you have thoughts or anything like that, please do let us know. This this was really fun. Yeah, it really was. Um, and so we'll have uh, we'll have a link in the show notes to that article that I mentioned from Electric Lit. Um, 
another article that I found that we didn't get a chance to talk about, um, but there was an article from Crime Reads about the Nancy Drew brand and the different authors who wrote as Carolyn Keene. Um, so we'll have a link to that article if you want to take a look at that. And if you are interested in doing a more in-depth uh, look, there is a book that came out, I don't know, maybe what, like 10, 15 years ago called Girl Sleuth, Nancy Drew and the Women Who Created Her by Melanie Rehack. Um, so we'll have a link in the show notes to that, that book as well, if you're interested in, you know, in like further reading. Um, but, but yeah, so we'll, we've got a couple, a couple of other areas for, for more exploration, but yeah, there, there's, there's a lot to talk about with Nancy Drew and it was a lot of fun. <laughs> Agreed. All right. So with that, um, I guess I'm going to dive into our new releases section of the episode. Now, before I do that, I just want to point out that between, I think it was like last episode and this episode when we were looking at new releases, trying to find a book coming out in the last month or so that has been written by an author of color has been darn near impossible. Like, this is like this is kind of ridiculous and i'm a, and i'm irritated because in the summer like at least in library world this is when people are picking up books for summer reading we're seeing we're seeing more people interested in finding titles to read like this is just kind of when people are looking for new books put out more books of authors by authors of color like Give them the promotion and take advantage of this. It shouldn't be this hard to find books written by authors of color. Okay, that was my rant. <laughs> and so we'll jump into the new releases that are coming out in the next couple of weeks. Um, so first up, we have Girls Like Us by Christina Alger, which is out in stores already. So this is one that you can pick up if you're interested. Um, it... Uh, and in this book, an FBI agent investigates a string of grisly murders on Long Island that raises the impossible question, what happens when the primary suspect is your father? So the FBI agent in question's name is Nell. Um, she hasn't been home in 10 years. She and her father, who uh, is a homicide detective, uh, his name is Martin, they've never had much of a relationship. Um, the area where she grew up will be a is always awash in memories of her mother, Marisol, who was brutally murdered when Nell was seven. Um, and then when her father, Martin, dies in a motorcycle accident, Nell returns to the house she grew up in so that she can spread her father's ashes, close his estate. Um, and at the behest of her father's partner, uh, Detective Lee Davis, she becomes involved in an investigation into the murders of two young women in the county. And the further that Nell digs, the more likely it seems that her father should be the prime suspect and that his friends on the police force may be covering his tracks. So now she's plagued by doubts about her mother's murder and her own role in exonerating her father in that case. Uh, Nell can't help but qu ask questions about who killed Rhea Ruiz and Adriana Marquez and why. But she may not like the answer she finds, not just about those she loves, but about herself. So again, that is Girls Like Us by Christina Alger. Uh, up next, we have Whisper Network by Chandler Baker, which is also available to pick up in stores, um, came out this week. And the... <laughs> 
the summary starts off with this line. If you don't, if only you'd listen to us, none of this would have happened. Sloan, Artie, Grace, and Rosalita have worked at Truvive Inc. for years. The sudden death of the company's CEO means that their boss will likely, uh, their boss Amos will likely take over the entire company. Each of the women has a different relationship with Amos, who has always been surrounded by whispers about how he treats women. You can see where this is going. Those whispers have been ignored, swept under the rug, hidden away by those people in charge, but the world has changed and the women are watching this promotion differently. This time when they find out that Amos is making an inappropriate move on a colleague, they aren't willing to let it go. This time they've decided enough is enough. So their decision to take a stance that's in motion, a catastrophic shift in the office. Lies will be uncovered, secrets will be exposed, and not everyone will survive. All of their lives, as women, colleagues, mothers, wives, friends, and even adversaries, will change dramatically as a result. If only you had listened to us, they tell us on page one, none of this would have happened. Um, to continue with the Riley Sager mentions, um, he did a blurb for this book, and he calls it a primal roar of a novel. And I, I mean, that right there, I'm just like, okay, I'm sold. Um, so this is definitely a very timely story with, um, I mean, clearly very, very much inspired by the Me Too movement, um, and the ongoing issues with sexual harassment in the workplace and other environments. Um, again, that is Whisper Network by Chandler Baker. And then for next week, um, as promised, uh, here we want to mention The Chain by Adrian McKinty. This book, I'm super excited to read this one. So for this book, you have victim, survivor, abductor, criminal. You will become each one. Phone rings. Find out a stranger has kidnapped your child. To free them, you must abduct someone else's child. Your child will be released when your victim's parents kidnap another child. If any of these things don't happen, your child will be killed. You are now part of the chain. You are not the first, and you will certainly not be the last. This book has gotten blurbs from everyone, from Stephen King to Tana French to Attica Locke to Dennis Lehane, and a bunch of authors in between, and everyone's saying, oh my gosh, this book is bonkers. And that's pretty much all the information they give about it. Just pretty much you have to read this. All the big names in the mystery and suspense world are saying you have to read this book. Um, again, that is The Chain by Adrian McKinty that comes out on July 9th. Do not miss this one. And then finally... We have the stories you tell by Kristen Lepianka, um, which is out on, or which will come out on July 9th. It's number three in the Roxanne Weary series. If you've been following that, um, a late night phone call is never good news, especially when you're Roxanne Weary. This one's from her brother Andrew, whose evening was interrupted by an urgent visit from Addison, a hip young DJ and one time fling who turns up at his apartment scared and begging to use his phone. She leaves as quickly as she appeared, but now Andrew is worried, especially when Addison never makes it home and her friends and family demand to know where she is. As the police begin to suspect that something may have happened to her and that Andrew is involved, Roxanne tracks Addison's digital footprint as she goes deeper and deeper into the events preceding her disappearance. Meanwhile, a cop is found dead on the opposite side of town, leading to a swirl of questions surrounding a dance club whose staff, which includes Addison, has suddenly gone AWOL. As Roxanne struggles to distinguish the truth from the stories people tell about themselves online, it's clear that the mystery of Addison's whereabouts is just the beginning. So again, that is The Stories You Tell by Kristen Lepianka, and that comes out on July 9th.
All right. So to quickly wrap things up, we'll talk about the books that we've been reading lately or want to be reading. Um, so a couple of weeks ago, I think on June 25th, I think that was the Tuesday, I was a guest co-host on the All the Books podcast with Libby Hardy, which was super exciting. Um, and so to prepare for that, uh, I read a couple of books that were coming out and two of them were mysteries. Um, the first one is called The Gone Dead by Chanel Benz. This is a new southern mystery book it's some people are describing it as like southern gothic i think it has a little bit of that vibe but it very much is that sort of like quiet southern mystery book um you are following this character named billy james who is of mixed race descent her father was black her mother was white her father passed away uh when she was around four years old and her father was found like collapsed in the front yard and Billy went sort of like missing for a little bit during that time period, although she doesn't have like any real memory of this fact. Um, and so after her father passed away, her mother uh, took her from Mississippi and they moved to Philadelphia and she never returned back to Mississippi. And then the story starts off with uh, Billy's mother has now passed away and she's heading back to Mississippi because she's now inherited her father's old home. Um, and it's basically like this abandoned shack. And so she goes back to Mississippi to basically like deal with the house, um, as well as connect with some of her family on her father's side um, that she hasn't talked to since she was, you know, like four years old or so. Um, and she also kind of just wants to figure out what exactly happened around her father's death. And so she's returning after 30 years. Um, and she realizes that or it soon becomes clear to the reader that uh, things are not quite what they seem. Um the shack that her father had is very secluded and on her own, the only neighbors that are somewhat nearby is this family named the McGee's who the Billy's father's family has had a relationship with because like the McGee's used to own them as slaves um, back in the day. And so like they continue to just like live on the land and work on the land and things like that. Um, as she encounters different locals, she starts to hear different things about her father and her family. And it's just this like, gritty, dark, slow burn of a story that looks at the mystery of what exactly happened on this day when Billy's dad passed away, what happened to Billy, um, but also is like this really great look at like race relations in Mississippi, both back in like the 1970s when her father passed away, as well as current day, um, and kind of comparing and contrasting it and seeing what has and hasn't changed. Um, and yeah, it's just it's a really good, like, slow burn, suspenseful book. So if you are someone who likes your mysteries to be slightly more on the literary end of things, um, then I think you'll really like this one. And again, that's called The Gone Dead by Chanel Benz. And then the other one I read was Murder in the Cricket House by Soji Shimada. And this is translated from the Japanese uh, by Louise Heal Kawai. And so uh, Soji Shimada wrote the book Tokyo Zodiac Murders, which I know is a pretty popular um, mystery book. And so this is his like next book being translated into English. Um, it's a locked room mystery. And this one is like so bonkers. <laughs> There's no like better way. Like bonkers in the sense of like, how did this author even think of this? So it's a locked room mystery. Um, and like the story starts off with you as a reader getting a description of this mansion that they're living in. And it's like the weirdest sounding house that you've ever heard of. Um, there's staircases that only go towards like certain rooms. There's areas that are like confined from other areas, things like that. Um, so it's taking place near Christmas time. And the owner of the mansion is this millionaire named Koza 
Burrow ha- Hamamoto. Um, and so Hamamoto basically invites a bunch of his friends over for the Christmas holidays. And they start like telling each other these puzzles um, over the course of dinner. Um, and then he, as they're like solving the puzzles, he decides to take them like to this one tower and they look down and there's like a flower shaped bed at the bottom of the tower. And so he's basically like, who could solve the riddle of why I have a a flower shaped bed at the bottom of this tower and no one can solve it. They all go to bed. They wake up the next morning, someone is dead. And so uh, it's clearly a locked room mystery. Like it's wintertime, it's snowed outside. They don't see any footsteps outside. They call local detectives um, to come and try to figure it out. And it's basically like, you as a reader are like getting all of the clues for what has happened. Um, and there, the way that um, Soji Shimada writes his books is there's always this like break point that he provides like near the end of the book where he's basically like, okay, reader, you now have all of the clues. Can you figure out what happened? I will tell you right now, I had no idea what was happening. So <laughs> I just continued reading to see what happened. And I honestly think that this is one of those books where it's like, I don't I don't think it's possible to guess it, honestly. And if you did guess this, if you have read this one already, uh, good for you. Because yeah, there was no way I was guessing this ending. Um, so yes, this is now being put out in, the, um, in English by Pershkin Vertigo. So if you read Tokyo Zodiac Murders, you kind of have a sense of what his writing style is like, but there's nothing quite like it. Like it, this isn't a book you go to for like good character development or even like thrilling plot. It's really just like this puzzle you're trying to solve. So if you like a good puzzle, pick up Murder in the Cricket House by Soji Shimada. Okay, so yeah, really quickly for me, um, I picked up uh, the book Just What Kind of Mother Are You by Paula Daly, which was a psychological suspense novel came out about, I don't know, five, six years ago. And I picked it up, it was on my shelf. Um, I It was one that I was like, okay, if I don't read it by like halfway through the year, I'm going to give it to half price books. So I picked it up, I read it, and I finished it that day. <laughs> so it was it was very intriguing about a missing child and what do you do when, you know, a friend's child goes missing and you are partially to blame for her being for her being missing. Um there as in retrospect there are there are some definite plot contrivances where you're like, oh, did that you know, that it's like, okay, that's a little too convenient, but was it and was it a you know a, a fast paced uh, page turning novel definitely. Um, so that was just what kind of mother are you by Paula Daly. Um, in terms of what I'm starting, um, I just started Killers of the Flower Moon by David Gran on audio. Um, that was the uh, true crime historical nonfiction that came out a couple years ago that was winning all the awards. Um, so I've been listening to that. I'm not very far into it, but so far, interesting. Um, I picked up a copy of Lock Every Door by Riley Sager, which is probably getting um, a TV series. Because Riley Sager, this is his third book, and he his books kind of play on horror tropes. The first one, Final Girls, was about the concept of the final girl in a slasher movie. His second one, uh, The Last Time I Lied, that takes place at a summer camp on a lake, kind of like Friday the 13th kind of style horror. This one, Lock Every Door, is um, about a haunted apartment building, um, which... 
I mean, I loved the first two books. Final Girls was fantastic. And I love me a good ghost story. So I, when I ordered a copy of this for our library, I made sure to put my name and library card number down as the first person on hold for it. That is one of the benefits of being a librarian. Um, so I have that coming. And then um, I have mentioned this book before that I have been meaning to read but haven't gotten to yet. Uh, Perfect Nanny by Layla Slimani, another um, domestic uh, psychological suspense novel that is pretty short and has been sitting on my shelf and I really should get around to reading it. So we'll see if I can get to it in the next couple of weeks. All right. So that is our show. Thanks so much to everyone for listening. Uh, for show notes, you can head to bookriot.com slash listen and then click on the Red or Dead page. You'll find links to all of the news stories we talked about in this episode, as well as links to all the books that we talked about. Um, definitely check out those Nancy Drew related articles, especially the electric literature one. It's really fantastic. Um, if you enjoy this podcast, definitely leave us a review on Apple Podcasts so that way other people can discover us. Um, as Katie mentioned at the top, we love getting emails and comments and questions and whatnot from you guys so if you want to email us you can send it to red or dead at bookriot.com um, otherwise you can find me on twitter and instagram i am at rincy a and i am on twitter at kt underscore library lady and we will talk to you guys next time bye bye, bye.